everyone. This is Sandra Costa and this is T-Cube Talks podcast, a place to stimulate the discussion about innovation and inspire new ideas and collaborative solutions to modern society. In this episode, we are going to talk with a professional that has been working for 20 years in a company related to agribusiness in Guatemala, keeping his attention to the tendencies in this sector. As the Chief Disruption Officer in Pantaleon Group, our guest has been involved in themes such as emerging futures, food tech, green chemistry, and metaverse, aiming to expand its perspectives and businesses for the sector. Let's know more about the innovative work of Guillermo Medina. Welcome, Guillermo. Thank you, Sandra. I'm very happy to be here and uh, hopefully sharing a little bit of my knowledge and experience in several of the topics that you mentioned. Great, Guillermo. So let's start with uh, a question regarding uh, what do you do in Pantaleon Group? So as I mentioned, you are a chief disruption officer. So what are the main activities that you are related to and what are the requirements and the abilities necessary for someone that works looking for the future? So maybe I can give a little bit of a background. So I studied mathematics and engineering and uh, the mathematics background gave me a little bit of structure on how to look at the world. And uh, really mathematics is about, you know, trying to describe how the world works. Uh, and so, you know, engineering is also related to that in the sense that people are trying to understand how things work. So that means you need curiosity for sure. And the other thing is that you are exploring change, how things change and how paradigms change. Because when you study science, which sometimes is underrated, you have to look at history. Uh, because new ideas come from understanding the past and connecting the new dots into the future. And so it's, it's really more about being curious. And I think anybody in, in any field can be curious. But in my personal experience, the, the mathematics on how to describe the world was, was sort of the, the entering point. I then migrated into finance. Uh, to be able to translate how to create value in the sense that, you know, business people would understand. Uh, and so I think both finance, uh, mathematics, and the curiosity were sort of the mixing pot that helped me uh, through that. And the other thing is, uh, I was always looking for change. I, I have never been a person that likes uh, to be still. Uh, so I think change is something that you need to look for and, and not be afraid of. Great, Guillermo. Yeah, I agree with you. That's, that's important for all activities, uh, but especially when you have to imagine new possibilities for the future, I think that's more important. So regarding agribusiness and technology, which are the, the fields that you work, what are the main tendencies that you have been paying attention in the last two years? What have been happening 
in this sector? And how will they change the way that we produce and consume goods in the future? Okay, so maybe I can start by saying that the name disruption officer that I chose for uh, leading this project was to create a little bit of a sense for people to think that you have to rebuild the future. So it's disrupting doesn't mean destroying. It means shaking. And when you shake something under different lenses, it might come with a different outcome. So the process, when you talk about what are the things that I see in the future, nobody can predict the future. If I could predict the future, <laughs> it, would be, it would be in a very different conversation. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's on the contrary. It's knowing that you cannot predict the future. How do I create the systems to help me succeed understanding what possible futures can emerge. And maybe I just want to give a little message, which is the futures are something we all create. It's not something that's sort of out there. It's something that we are all part of. And, you know, we, we can have a full-blown discussion about free will, which I'm not going to get into, but... Uh, philosophic <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly but, but whole, you know you know I, I still have a sense that 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 we can push things so that our futures uh will look like what we imagine and we put our energy into and so i don't know if you know pascal finette but pascal finette is a a, a great person i know him uh, and I've received a couple of courses with him. Uh, he is somebody that teaches you that you need to look at weak signals. Uh, and weak signals are things that are happening out there in technology that at the beginning, they will disappoint you because you might think, you know, it's not fast enough, it's not cheap enough, but the trend if projected properly, has exponential characteristics that will lead you to have a massive change, which is called disruption. And that's why, you know, the name arose in, into, into the field. So what am I looking into regarding agriculture? Uh, I am looking at three different things. One, which is called adaptive systems another one which is called breakthrough foods, another, another one which is green chemistry. Adaptive system has to do with artificial intelligence. It has to do with changing climate. It has to do with regulatory regimes. It has to do with CRISPR technology. So all these things related to uh, data science and, and data. So that's the bucket I see called adaptive systems. And why is that important? Because it will change the way we operate agriculture. Uh, so the more sensors we have, the more predictive capability we have, the less resources we will need, uh, gives you a, a, a much 
broader look. Now, those trends are, are happening. How those trends are happening related to your industry, that's a more complicated thing, right? Because there you have to be close to the entrepreneurs that are actually building this stuff. The entrepreneurs that are thinking how to solve your pain points and how to imagine those futures. So the, the job that I do with my team is actually not inventing but understanding how people are trying to change the future related to this topic. Now, one thing is there is so much happening in technology out there that it's very important what not to focus on, which is as important, you know, to, to understand, okay, I'm not going to look at all of these things. I'm going to only look at these specific things. And so that's why it's important to have a framework and to have. Now, the other one is breakthrough foods. So Breakthrough Foods has to do with, uh, you know, the next suite of natural food products uh, and maybe not only sweeteners, but things that meet the needs of the evolving food system. Now, what does that mean? It means that in the future, how are we going to provide sustainable proteins for the population, how are we going to build future that is um, not only more sustainable, but more efficient and also completely connected to people's well-being? Uh, because longevity, as you might know, is another topic that is emerging. So everybody has talked about We're going to maybe live 120 years. How can we do that? And so at the end of the day, is in a per you, you always have to see all of these lenses in a personal way. And if it makes sense to you and, and, and it's a future that you would like to see, then you sort of start saying, okay, this can be a future. And, and then you, when you start understanding, again, you know, credit to all the entrepreneurs out there, because they're the ones who are trying to actually solve the problems. You just only have to cheer them on and you have to be able to support them because it's, it's really not an easy task for, for the entrepreneur. You know, I come from a, a, a industrial agricultural background. The company I work for has been the, you know, uh, in the market 172 years. Uh, it's the second uh, largest, or actually the first largest producer uh, of agricultural products in, in the Latin American region, excluding Brazil. So it's, it, it started with a entrepreneurial feeling, but over the decades, you know, it, it's much harder. So when you're trying to start a project of innovation within a corporation, Uh, you have to bring in that um, talent again and, and that entrepreneurial spirit. Sorry. So the, the only other thing that we're trying to look at is, is something called green chemistry. And green chemistry plays into the following. People are trying to move away for, from petroleum products. Uh, not only because there are 
tendencies in terms of the changing regulatory environment, uh, but also in our impact in the long term to the environment in general and to systems in general. So I think agriculture can play an interesting role there because the if you think of agriculture, I, I'm going to put an example, which is sugarcane, but there are many other examples. But sugarcane, for example, is a very efficient plant to transform electricity into energy and store that energy. And I don't know, you know, hopefully the listeners are curious about this because this is fascinating. How are trees and how are sugar plants, how do they actually grow? They grow because they grab CO2 from the air, literally. And so CO2 is carbon and oxygen. And through the photosynthesis uh, process, they capture the carbon in the air, they fix the carbon so that they have structure and they release the oxygen. So the plants are already doing the exercise of sequestering carbon and giving us oxygen. So it's a beautiful system. So, you know, everybody's trying to think about how to create all this capturing technology, but the reality is that nature has already given us a very good insight into how things should work. Now, the, the complicated part of the equation which we're trying to solve is how do we make the full cycle not only negative in terms of capturing CO2, but also in terms of sustainability in the long term regarding soils, regarding water usage, regard, regarding other things. So, you know, th those are the things we're, we're focusing on now. And, and those are the features we, we're looking at. That's really interesting, uh, Guillermo, because in a certain way, all that you're thinking about the future is, is selecting all these tendencies and knowing which one to focus on. Because yes, when you think in agriculture, it's like the basis of our health, our for the food and all the related to, to the environment uh, and fuel, etc. So you just said a little bit about sustainability, but what have has your company really doing about this impact of monocultures uh, in nature and local communities? Because, like you said, it's a, a huge company in Guatemala. Do you think that it is possible? to conciliate this kind of economic growth and social environment development? I am certain that that is the way it will happen. So you should never base a business thinking that regulation necessarily is going to be the way to get you there, or at least to create value to shareholders necessarily. Uh, so, I think that Europe, for example, and many other countries have gone into great lengths trying to incentivize carbon capturing. Uh, and so carbon capturing is a way, let's say, to incentivize people to think of the cycle of carbon. 
And I think it's fair and I think it has worked. And I think more, more, more people are paying attention to it. We, we have been paying attention to it as a company for much longer than the regulation itself. Now, the thing is that those regulations create economic incentives that make some technologies more profitable at different points in time, or people will put their focus, as you mentioned, on, on those things. So let's talk about uh, the topic of monoculture. I think uh, everybody likes to talk about the, the topic. It's a controversial topic. And I think um, the, the important thing to recognize is that if we're going to have a sustainable future for our kids and for you know, future generations, we have to see reality as it is and not as we would like it to be. And to see reality as it is and not as we would like it to be, it's not so easy because you're going to have to have a lot of information and a lot of data points. And I think that's why it's interesting what you're, you guys are trying to do, having different experts, different opinions, different perspectives, because that's the only way you will get to see reality as it is. What do I mean by that? Uh, there, there has been a green revolution and the green revolution that started maybe 30 or 40 years back, you know, it's one of those kept secrets that nobody really talks about in the news and everything. But the reality is that it has given humanity uh, the food systems that today supply the world. And part, big part of that is the way we were able to specialize the cultivation of certain products to be able to feed the world. Now, that is one way to solve the problem and it has worked. Now people, you know, I'm not gonna get into the whole Malthusian conversation. I'm not gonna get into, you know, uh, into, into different conversations that could lead to different topics. But I don't know if you've heard our friend Elon Musk, but you know, the reality, if you look at data, is that the population is not necessarily going to be growing in the future. It's actually going to be less in the future. So having less population is actually, how will the food systems work with, with less labor? Uh, if you look at, you know, one of the people that I actually really like and read and look at uh, the, when he participates in different podcasts, which is Matt Ridley, he also, you know, has shown people data on how much agricultural land is actually being used in the planet. And, you know, we're not growing the area of land being used. It actually, you know, the the way technology has worked is that the yields of today's crops, if you keep increasing them and putting systems and putting irrigation and you know, giving the right nutrients at the right time, it will only lead to needing less land in the future, no more land in the future. The same thing happens with understanding how much, how many trees in the world are you know, alive today relative to 100 years. So there are a lot of misconceptions in terms of data. 
but you don't have to be myopic. What do I mean by that? I mean that if we can figure out a system where we use less inputs on the fields and using less inputs, but making the inputs that are needed uh, available through bacteria, through fungi, that are the natural biological systems that support the soil, uh, you probably will be more productive. So the challenge is figuring out how to put the systems together in order to have that future state. And you know that's one of the things we, we have been working on uh, we participated in uh, the X Prize created by Elon Musk on, on carbon capturing. Uh, we were top quartile. Uh, so there, there are many different technologies that can be applied that are there. That's why I really like CRISPR technology because CRISPR technology is not uh, the same thing as GMO. So, it, you know, genetically modified things are when you try to insert a gene from another organism into one organism to give a certain characteristic. But CRISPR technology is a beautiful technology that augmented by uh, artificial intelligence can tell you where you can actually change the gene in a particular organism without introducing a new gene. So it's actually the same organism. Uh, with the same characteristics, but you can express different things that would have taken thousands of years to be able to express themselves. So, for example, to fixate nitrogen in the soils or to, you know, sur survive different ambient conditions. So I think that that revolution is going to be a crucial part of looking at a future where, where we are, you know, trying to be as uh, diverse and sustainable as possible. Sure, that, that's really nice, uh, Guillermo, because you can alleviate these both sides between technology and agriculture and something that will give, provide progress. Because sometimes, for, for example, Brazil and the, what we have been looking at in Amazonia, we see that it's like, uh, unfortunately, uh, there is like uh, this old kind of view of expansion of the fields. I think that this is what you described. It's really what we aim as a society to. So, like I said in the introduction, you have been also involved in disruptive subjects, other ones like metaverse, blockchain, smart cities. Could you please tell us a little bit of which kind of projects that you have been working on and how can they interconnect? So, you know, there, there are different technologies that are emerging that have the potential to change fundamental things on how we see the world and how we operate the world. And so I, I'm really bullish into blockchain technology, for example. I think blockchain technology can be applied to many different things. Uh, 
what I can share with you, because you know some, some of the things that we're doing are not necessarily public, but what I can share with you is that uh, in terms of agricultural land and in terms of the, the value chain and the food chain systems, you know, understanding what happens along the value chain is really, really important. And people not being able to change the ledger to understand who played the role when is really important. Uh, so I think that's one of those fundamental changes that, that is definitely coming in, in all industries. So you only have to put the lens and see how it applies to you. Now, in terms of, of let's say the, the metaverse, and uh, you know, it's, it's a word that, that probably catched on after, after Mark Zuckerberg's uh, announcement of meta, uh, you know, and the change of the whole Facebook thing. But, but the reality is that the world had already seen virtual reality. People wanted to go into augmented reality. And uh, there, there are many applications. So to give you an example is if you can train somebody to do anything, either agricultural or in uh, the factory setting, something that needs a lot of skill, but that has high risk. If you train in a virtual world, the risk of you getting hurt is much less. And this has already been applied in the airplane industry for many years. But the, the thing is cost, right? So now the cost is getting into a point where you know, this technology is much widely available and it's easier to get. The other thing is the concept of augmented reality, which is really what I am hoping for uh, in the near future. Uh, and augmented reality, I like because, you know, in the virtual reality world, you are actually, your senses and yourself are completely immersed in the virtual world. But in the augmented reality world, you are combining the physical and the virtual. And I love that concept because then you can overlay filters of things that are important to you. And so when you are, you know, looking at certain equipment in the factory setting, you will be able to see dashboards. You're going to be able to see data that is relevant to you in order to make accurate decisions in a timely manner uh, for security reasons, for um, efficiency reasons. So I think that's going to change the set. Another thing is that maybe you don't know or you're not an expert changing something or making a particular decision, you're going to be augmented and you're going to be able to do this. So we're working on several companies that are, you know, trying to put this technology in the hands of the users. And, uh, you know, we welcome anybody that's listening to the podcast. Uh, you know, <laughs> if they're into these things, we're open uh, to collaborating uh, with with you guys. Oh, I'm really glad to know that you are developing so much projects and uh, ideas, at least for these these new tendencies. So 
congratulations, uh, Guillermo, for your guidance in this, this field. Right now, we are going to some common questions that I ask for all guests. And I'd like to know if you, if you have any suggestion of books or films that talk about this theme of innovation. Do you have something to suggest? Okay, so let, there are so many things, right? So, so there's so much content out there, great content. So, you know, I just invite people to be curious and, 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 and go out there. But what has really helped me? As I, I, as I described at the beginning, I, 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 I had a, ba a, a background related to mathematics and certainty and uh, you know, even measuring uncertainty. But I got involved into innovation through a personal journey. Uh, and what do I mean by a personal journey? I mean, you know, in order to explore different future states, you, you know, companies and innovation is not words are it's humans it's humans actually either consciously or unconsciously understanding the process of change and so in order to get there you have to go through personal change or at least be aware of your personal change so i went through personal change and you in order to have that personal change you have to let go of things. You have to let go of ideas. You have to let go of concepts. You have to go even let go of values uh, that you might have upholded that are not really useful in the future anymore. And so letting go is very scary. Letting go is, uh, you know, something normally you don't like to do. And when I went through that process of letting go, it was a, a very transformational process, personal process. So I said, this process I would like to replicate in the company with the help of allies that understand that it's important to do this on a personal level and at the company level. So when, so, Later, I, you know, found that MIT had also thought of this as well. And so uh, people at the U lab at MIT had thought about this process as well. And so innovation at MIT is not, you know, an abstract concept, you know, in terms of technology. It's actually, again, about the human at the center. And so I, you know, I invite everybody to take the course. I think, uh, I don't remember how much it costs, but it's, it's, it's really not expensive. I even think there's a free course related to the ULAB at MIT. And, uh, you know, it's three messages at the end. One is having an open mind, which is relatively easy in the sense that you, you, you don't have to change you just have to listen. Then you go to the second phase, which is open heart, which is, you know, a little bit deeper because it has to do with 
empathy. It has to do with putting yourself in the foot of others. And that, you know, has to have more energy because it has to do with your emotions. So it's not only about thinking about it, opening your brain to it, it's actually feeling it. But the last step, which is the actual transformation, is the open will. And open will has to do with your identity and the, the identity of, you know, the personal identity, the group's identity, the company's identity. So everybody talks about, you know, values and things, but so, so change and innovation is actually a very personal thing. So I, I recommend that. Then I recommend, uh, related to that, a book by Anthony DeMello, which is called Awareness, uh, which gives you, again, a personal perspective in terms of how to be aware of things. Because innovation is, as I said before, looking at things the way they are. Reality as it is, not how you would like it to be. And that is not an easy thing to do for companies and it's not an easy thing to do for people. So you have to understand it at a personal level. And then uh, I would say uh, Rethink Humanity uh, is a book by Tony Siba, which I really like in terms of change and, and in terms of systems, how everything's going and uh, there are, uh, uh, it's a good book and a good series and, and a good think tank. Uh, then there are several books by Matt Ridley um, in terms of uh, innovation, but not only innovation, he, he goes as well in depth into more the agricultural side because he talks about energy systems, he talks about uh, you know, regulation related to carbon credits. And then Another book that I would recommend is Principles by Ray Dalio, because innovation, you know, you can put a goal, which is great. Having goals is great. But the reality is that it is more important to have a process. Uh, you know, uh, the book Atomic Habits is a good one for this. Uh, so in Atomic Habits, uh, you know, you realize that having the right habits lead you to the right results more than the objective itself. Uh, and what does that mean? It means that if you're going to have, uh, you know, an innovation division, it must have processes. And uh, these processes have to be connected with the operations. Everybody has to know which part of the dance to dance to, and it's a collaborative process. So those would be my recommendations in terms of the books and, and films. Great recommendations. Thank you, Guillermo. So I would like to know if you have a final message to leave to the ones that work with innovative activities or wish to start. Okay. Uh, there... <laughs> Okay, I think one message to leave on the table that I would like to, to leave is um, we have to be optimistic about the future. Uh, but, you know, uh, being optimist means that you're taking action. 
it doesn't mean that you, you know it, it, that it's just wishful thinking. <laughs> so 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 uh, you know. Uh, I, I am hopeful of the future and that we're going to figure it out as a society how to be more empathic and how to be more sustainable and how to be more free. Because at the end of the day, you want, you know, human flourishing and human flourishing has to do with freedom. So even all of these things that I've talked about, it's in the context of agriculture and a particular industry. But you have to dig deeper if you're going to do innovation in terms of leaving a better place, not, not, not only doing it because it's going to be more efficient per se or, you know, sexy. It has to, it has to have more meaning. Uh, now, now, with that said, I, there's a quote that I really, really like. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for it and, and read it. I don't know who was the one who... who wrote the quote, but you know, I always keep it with me, uh, which is there is, no, there is nothing more difficult to take in hand, more perilous to conduct, or more uncertain in its success than to take the lead in the introduction of a new order of things. Because the innovator has for enemies all those who have done well under the old conditions and lukewarm defenders in those who may do well under the new. And so people think, oh yes, it's great. But the reality is that people don't want change. The reality is that people don't like to feel uncomfortable. People don't like to let go. So, uh, you know, it's, Persistence. <laughs> okay, let's persist. So, Guillermo, thank you very much for your participation. It was great. I learned a lot here and uh, success for your company and your projects. Thank you, Sandra. Great talking to you. This was episode four of season two of TQ Talks podcast. Every two weeks, a new episode for you on your favorite podcast platform. To learn more about TQ, visit tq.com. <laughs>